Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. So glad to uh, be worshiping with you this morning. My name is uh, Danny, and I'm uh, friends with, uh, uh, with Pastor Jamie and uh, with Marshall uh, as well. And I work in a regional church planting movement uh, called Converge. And so because of that, I get the opportunity to uh, uh, preach at many different churches. But I have to say, have to admit that this is one of the more intimidating churches uh, to preach at. It has nothing to do with you. You guys are great. Um, but it's really because uh, of the job that Jamie does in handling God's Word. He really does set uh, a really high standard for uh, fellow preachers and for his peer, uh, peers. And uh, so I always come in with a little bit of uh, trepidation as I'm uh, preparing uh, to deliver God's Word with you. And as Marshall already said, uh, Jamie's on sabbatical, and uh, I, I can't uh, say how important that is. And I, my prayer is that Jamie has just a wonderful time, that it's a time for him to kind of recharge, reconnect with God, uh, kind of regain vision, and uh, to be able to come back, but also for you as well, too, uh, that this will be a time for you as a church uh, to really just come together, and hopefully you will be blessed by it as well. But let's do this. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we're going to dig in uh, to God's Word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you have given us time already just to prepare our hearts to proclaim who you are, to proclaim what you've done for us. God, thank you that you are a God that is not distant, but that you have shown yourself to us, that you revealed yourself through the prophets, that you've revealed yourself by giving us your word, and ultimately you've revealed yourself by sending your son Jesus. Even though that we were sinners, God, that he came to die on the cross for our sins and, and we praise you and thank you for that. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would be active and present, not only in the preaching, but also in the listening and the applying of your word. May it not just be more information that we learn, but may you transform us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you guys have been in a series entitled uh, Seeing Jesus, which has been going through the Gospel of John. And for the most part, you've been kind of taking uh, one chapter at a time, and this is chapter 11 that we're looking at today, in which it recounts uh, a miracle in which Jesus performs in raising Lazarus from the dead. And uh, in studying Scripture, uh, we see that the authors, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are usually trying to make uh, a single point. Uh, they're kind of driving at one thing that they want the audience uh, to be able to understand. Uh, we also know that uh, overarching all of Scripture, uh, that that main point is really viewed uh, through uh, the lens of Christ and uh, the redemptive work that he uh, accomplished uh, on, on the cross. So kind of taking that into uh, consideration, we're going to be looking at what that uh, one point is. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, uh, Pastor Jamie, uh, he had preached a sermon from John chapter 9. And uh, that was uh, one of those miracles with uh, the uh, healing of the blind man. And uh, what was uh, so helpful, I thought, it was, a, it was a great sermon. By the way, if you haven't heard that one that Jamie preached, definitely do go online. It's a uh, one of my favorite ones that he has preached. He talked about in the beginning some of just the nature of Scripture in general, uh, talking about it being Christocentric, that Christ is the center 
of all of the passages, even stuff now that we see in the Old Testament, even obscure passages in the Old Testament are now uh, interpreted or understood through the lens of, of Christ. Uh, but what he talked about in, as far as the nature of Scripture is that it's important that we look at that one point, but that there's other things, there's other details uh, that the author gives us uh, that are important for us, that we apply it uh, to our own lives as well. That while it's Christocentric, that it must also um, apply to our lives. And so as we look at chapter 11, we're going to get right to the point because it's actually fairly clear. I know we read through all of these already, but I'm going to read verse 25 and 41 as that really hones in. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then in verse 41, Jesus says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. And so if you're one that likes to take notes, and maybe this is actually already printed in your bulletin, that main point of the entire passage is believe in Jesus who is the resurrection and life. Believe in Jesus, who is the resurrection and life. So all of chapter 11, if we're to, to walk away and uh, let's say you just needed to run and do your grocery shopping, get done whatever you needed to, you would have the answer right here. This is, this, is, this is the point of the passage. And those of you that have been coming to Redeemer, you've been part of this series, you may be Going, now wait a minute, this sounds really familiar. Is this one of those repeat sermons? And kind of it is, because this has been one of the main points that we see throughout the Gospel of John. That it is structured in a way in which uh, John's Gospel has these seven different miracles in which Jesus performs. And the point of them are so that, that the people believe in him. And these miracles that John selects and write about also have this symbolism surrounding them of who Jesus is and why he came. And so raising Lazarus from the dead is this seventh and final miracle, at least the final miracle before the ultimate miracle in which Jesus is raised from the dead. And so this is what I would like us to do today in our time. We're going to know that the main point is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but we're going to make four different kind of observations that kind of undergird, that kind of fill out, they kind of flesh out for us. What does this mean? How, how, how does this have an impact? As I understand Jesus as the resurrection and the life, what does that mean as a follower of Christ? How can we live that out? What are some of the applications? And so our first application is going to come in verse 4. When Jesus, uh, it says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. If, if you brought your physical Bibles with you, and please do keep them open during this time because I'm going to have during this time of observations to be underlining things. In verse 4, that second part to say it is for the glory of God 
so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Why don't you go ahead and underline that? And then once you get that underline, if you're a person that likes to take notes, this is what you can put for observation number one. We know the main point is Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So our first observation under that is that our suffering can be used for the glory of God. Our suffering can be used for the glory of God. Now remember, Mary and Martha, they have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, there's people that we read about and they don't really know who Jesus is, but we learn from Scripture that Mary and Martha, they have a relationship with Jesus. They're someone, they've spent time with him. You know, they've, they've exchanged stories. They know not just what's happening right there in the moment, but there's uh, some, some past that is there. And they go and they send word to Jesus, and this is, you know, Jesus' response here in verse 4. And in my opinion, I think that Jesus' response in verse 4 is both comforting and completely insensitive. It's comforting and completely insensitive. Here's, here's what I mean by this. Let's first of all look at why this would be so comforting for Jesus to say that his illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, it's comforting because those that knew Jesus, like Mary and Martha, knew that he even expressed his divinity by uh, knowing things in the future and having divine power. Okay, Jesus demonstrated this over time. There's a couple different examples, even from the Gospels. I think of the time that Jesus uh, interacts with Nathaniel. He knew Nathaniel. He never met him before. He knew his name. He, he, he showed his divine character of being able to know things that he really shouldn't know that a regular human being wouldn't know. Or I think about the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, right? The Samaritan woman. Jesus knew her. He knew her story. He knew that, that you know, she had uh, five different different husbands. And so Jesus is demonstrating this divine characteristic of being able to know things in the future. Uh, The final situation is actually very similar to what we have going on in here. If you remember this one where there was the Roman soldier, the Roman centurion, and he goes to Jesus and he wants help because his son is sick. And he says, "Will, will you help me? And Jesus proclaims and, and, and says, your son will live. Go, your son will live. And what happens is, is his son is healed at the very moment that Jesus says and proclaims that. I mean, Jesus demonstrates his divine power. He doesn't even need to be in the same vicinity. And so think about Mary and Martha they, they know this Jesus, so this must be so comforting to, to hear Jesus say his illness is not going to lead to death. They're remembering some of these other things. Well, Jesus has the power to be able to do this. But it's the second part of this I, I said that maybe seems a little insensitive. As he says, it's for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through his sickness. Now, 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 hold on a second. So, so you're telling me that this nightmare of a sickness that Lazarus is experiencing right now is somehow linked, it is tied together with God's glory. 
I don't know, we don't get the exact diagnosis of Lazarus' sickness. We don't have the details of his symptoms. But we do know that, you know, it's just not some sort of small little cold or, you know, something that, you know, he's just, uh, you know, maybe has a little scratch in his throat. He's probably full of pain. You know, something was severe enough where they thought that he was going to die. Maybe he's vomiting. Maybe he can't breathe and his lungs are beginning to fill with fluid. Uh, we don't know, but whatever the circumstances are, how dare Jesus say that this sickness of his uh, has anything to do with the glory of God? But this is why I think that this observation here is, is so important. Uh, because there's times where Jesus say things that may seem to be insensitive, and yet they are full of truth. And, and, and I mean truth that not only... Mary and Martha and the disciples needed to hear, but I think that it's truth that we need to hear as well too, that our suffering can be used for the glory of God. And I would argue that there's probably a greater opportunity to display the glory of God in our lives through suffering than through prosperity. Now, don't mishear what I'm saying. I think it is great when we get to point to God, when we are living in blessing. It's an opportunity to point towards the glory of God. When we get to announce that God has blessed us with another child, right? To God be the glory. Or when we get to announce that we get a promotion at work, to God be the glory. We get to announce that we're engaged to be married or we're celebrating 25 years of marriage to God be the glory. Or, or how about we get to announce the scans came back clear, cancer-free. To God be the glory. However, even as a follower of Christ, serving an all-powerful God, we can expect that we are going to face the realities of living in a broken world. And so when the pregnancy test comes back negative again, God can still be glorified. Or when we're overlooked in work for the promotion or maybe even lose our jobs to God uh, be the glory, he can still be glorified. Or when we're single, surrounded by lots of people getting engaged. Or even if our spouse divorced us for someone else, God can still be glorified. When the numbers on your blood count are headed in the wrong direction, God can still be glorified. I hesitated even giving such examples, but I decided to take the risk because potentially there's even someone in here that's facing some sort of life circumstance and you just needed to be able to hear that even through that, that God can be glorified. And I don't want to any way make light of the depth of the pain and the struggle and the suffering that anyone is feeling. As a matter of fact, I would want it to be exactly the opposite. That you would understand that there is a redemptive possibility that when viewed through the lens of Christ, that God may be glorified through your situation. It doesn't mean that you need to dismiss. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that you uh, need to just uh, fake it, that uh, you're going through some sort of easy time to suppress it but instead to embrace Christ's glory as you navigate through it. And to know that you're not alone. 
You are not alone. I, I think of even the example that the Apostle Paul gives. Uh, even if there isn't some sort of happy story at the ending that God doesn't come through, that there isn't some sort of miracle. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9, he says, uh, the Apostle Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. So we can No, we can observe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And one of those things that is tied to that is that even through our suffering, that God can be glorified. All right, pick your Bibles back up. That was verse four. We're gonna look at verses five and six. I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, okay, that was verse four, five, and six. We gotta get to 57. We should be out by the time the Preds game starts uh, later on tonight at six. Don't worry, we're clear out of here by two, okay? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Okay, so if you want to underline, uh, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And our observation number two under Jesus is the resurrection in life is that Jesus shows love through sovereign timing. Okay, Jesus throw, uh, shows love through sovereign timing. Now again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this observation, but I, I couldn't help to just, uh, this one was like jumping out at me. I'm wondering if this verse struck you in the same way uh, that it struck me. Uh, I, I studied uh, biblical Hebrew at the Hebrew University uh, of Jerusalem. Um, I did, did fairly well there. I studied uh, Greek in seminary, um, got, uh, got A's in Greek. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a shot uh, of my translation uh, of this verse, of verse 5. So if you still have your Bibles open, you can, can look at it. Uh, that will hopefully help us draw out this observation. So verse 5, I would translate it to say, Now Jesus loved Martha and Mary, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He did nothing. I have two jokes in the sermon. That was number one. <laughs> Thank you. I work hard on my jokes. I really do. Um, okay, so maybe I'm not going to convince any scholars, and I know there's a couple of you here or translators on my word-for-word equivalents here, uh, but here's uh, what I'm trying to get at, and uh, is to understand that it seems odd. It says that Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so what does he do? He stays there for two more days. And I'm not the only one who has this same feeling. I mean, skip ahead to verse 32. It says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and he saw him, and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had not been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha knew that Jesus was a healer. They knew that a single word, a single touch from Jesus would heal a person completely and instantly. I can't imagine the different emotions that that Mary and Martha were um, experiencing. I'm sure that there was some mix of grief in there. They're, They're grieving 
the loss of their brother, but I'm sure there was a bit of confusion, maybe even, maybe even anger. A little bit of anger, a little bit of pointing and saying, Jesus, you have a little bit, you have a little bit of responsibility. If you would have been here and used your power, we've seen you use it in the past, our brother would not have, have, have died. And, and you, didn't, you didn't get there, uh, you didn't get here in time. Maybe there was even a little, uh, a, a bit of a loss of, of faith in who Jesus was. Maybe he wasn't, um, maybe he wasn't as all-knowing. Remember, Jesus made the statement, he's not going to die. Maybe Jesus, maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. Maybe, maybe Jesus, you're not as powerful as you have put off. You, you, you've shown that you're pretty powerful, but in, in this case, uh, you're not powerful. Or worse yet, Jesus, maybe you don't love us as much as you have said. What was it that you were doing that was so important that us, as your close friends, you dilly-dallied around, you didn't make it here in time, and now because of this, our brother is dead. We need to know something. Jesus wasn't delayed. Jesus wasn't preoccupied. Jesus was right on time. This was part of his masterful plan. It wasn't even circumstantial. Jesus even says to his disciples, verse 14, Lazarus has died, and it was for your sake I'm glad I was not there. Jesus was purposeful in his timing. Verse 14 continues to go on. He says, I'm glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Jesus had a greater thing that he was working towards. Remember, this fits right in line with everything that we have been reading with the Gospel of John. Now, I want to get real practical with this point because seeing how God operates, uh, it does affect um, how, how we view how God operates affects us in our life. And seeing God work in his perfect sovereign timing I think is important for all of us. Maybe you're finding yourself in some life circumstances like Martha praying to the all-powerful God to intercede in what's going on, and you're banking on the character and the promises of God. You're reciting scripture that align with God's word and silence. Right? Nothing, maybe it seems as if nothing happens. Well, let this miracle be even the slightest encouragement to you. Jesus knows. He knows what's going on. He is all-powerful, and he is working his good and his perfect and his pleasing will. Maybe things will turn out in exactly the way that you've been praying for. I'm sure that Mary and Martha, they were praying, God, please do not let him die. Allow him to be healed. And that happens. And like we read from our previous passages or from our other observation, maybe it doesn't happen exactly the way that you think and in the timing that you think, but God is still completely in control. Jesus shows his love through sovereign timing. All right, we're going to pick our Bibles back up. I know the chronology is a little bit flipped around here, so um, we're going to skip to uh, verses 33 through 38. Just give you a second in case you have to flip a page. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. 
And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept him from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, and it continues to go on from there. So three different times before you put your Bible down. Look at verse 33. He was deeply moved. Then we have verse 35. Jesus wept. And then verse 38, then Jesus was deeply moved. Again, so our observation number three is simply Jesus is emotionally moved. Okay, Jesus is emotionally moved. Uh, I, I told you before I'm friends with um, your church planting resident here, Marshall Gallagher, and uh, we, t- we had talked about this passage before in the past, and I remembered that, and so as I was uh, preparing, I thought I'd dial him up. Uh, I respect his biblical interpretation skills and Bible knowledge, so I thought, let's you know, just kind of talk about this passage, and um, we got into a, a small argument, okay? I'll be honest, it got a little bit heated uh, at times. If you wonder what pastor friends do um, in our spare time, we call each other up and we argue about Scripture. It's no big deal. That's just, that's just uh, what we do. And uh, we were kind of going at it for a while, kind of going in circles. And so I wanted to uh, remind him uh, that, I was, uh, that I am one of his church planting coaches, so it would be important for him to kind of just relent and kind of admit uh, that I'm right and uh, that he was wrong. And uh, he reminded me uh, that he's preaching next week. So it doesn't matter what I say. He can just overturn, uh, overturn whatever, uh, whatever I say. So I joke a little bit uh, about that, but I want to bring you a little bit in on our conversation. What we were kind of discussing, what we were kind of mulling over is, what was, what was Jesus emotional about? I've heard lots of sermons on this before. There's, there's some couple different uh, uh, possibilities um, was, was Jesus just sad that his friend Lazarus was dead? Okay, that's certainly what the bystanders thought as they were observing Jesus getting emotional. Verse 36 says, see how he loved him. Okay, that doesn't mean that that's absolutely right. That's just what other people are observing. So that is a possibility that Jesus is just sad that his friend is, uh, is dead as well. Um, maybe he was sad because Mary and Martha were sad. Okay, if, you, if you look at verse 38, um, it, it says when Jesus saw her weeping uh, and the Jews who had come with, he was deeply moved. So maybe he wasn't sad about Lazarus dying. He was just you know, empathizing with Mary and Martha. Uh, maybe Jesus was mad because people still didn't believe in him. I mean, this is already the seventh miracle. Jesus has performed some pretty amazing stuff up to this point. And he's continuing to have to do these different miracles for people to believe in. So maybe part of this where it says he's moved, where he's troubled, and he's seeing like people still just, they're not getting it. They don't understand uh, who, who I am. Now this is not a cop-out. This is not an attempt to just compromise. But as I mulled over this passage quite a bit, I came to the conclusion that it's probably a combination of all of those. And that maybe that the emphasis isn't so much on what Jesus is weeping and emotionally moved about, but simply that Jesus is emotionally moved. Okay? That he simply is emotionally uh, uh, moved uh, because it is pointing towards 
his very humanity. A lot of the Gospel of John is focused on the divinity of Christ. That he's the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, he's the the expected one, he is God in the flesh. But we also see the very human part of Jesus. As it says three times, he was emotionally moved, he wept, he was emotionally moved again. And this is an important thing, an important side that if we're to say Jesus is the resurrection and the life, part of understanding the life of Jesus is to see that human side. Uh, My I'm not a very emotional guy. My wife reminds me of that all of the time. And um, she said to me, uh, you know, we have two daughters. And uh, I think it's important that you even express that uh, emotional side. And she said, I don't even remember the last time you cried. I don't think even within the last couple years uh, I have seen you cry. I thought about it for a moment. I thought, that's not true. Um. I, I cried when the Preds made it into the Stanley Cup Finals. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. There were not, not just, you know, a little wet. They were coming down. The second time uh, was this last year. My first time I tried Hattie, B, Hattie B's hot chicken, okay? <laughs> Which should actually count as two because the first time is when the flavor explosions hit my tongue. It was like something I had never tried before in my, my life, and I began to just, I was, I was moved emotionally. And then about 30 minutes later, the heat, the intensity of the heat made me cry again. So that's two times. And then when the Preds lost in the Stanley Cup final. So there's three times. So I do cry. <laughs> Back to the point here. Okay. Uh, there are these emotional times, and, and once again, the Gospel of John emphasizes so much the divinity of Christ, but we see here the very humanness of Jesus as he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Verses 23, um, we're going to move on to our last um, observation here. Uh, Jesus Uh, says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, "I uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into this world. So our last observation is Jesus is life now and life eternal. Jesus is life now and life eternal. So this final observation obviously ties the passage together. It's the the main point, the main thrust of the passage. And Jesus' statement here explains the purpose behind the miracle that he's about to perform. Right? He he tells Martha, your brother will rise again. Now again, I'm always careful about this of, of sharing, but as I read scripture, I kind of like to immerse myself a bit into what it was was like and and what it's what it's going on and 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 I I have to believe that there's just a little bit as I'm reading this interaction between Jesus and Martha um, that that Martha kind of takes this really important line and kind of she does misunderstand what he's saying she she's thinking that he's just giving kind of this cliche empty funeral platitude 
You know what I'm talking about, right? You don't even have to be like a, a Christian. If you go to a funeral and someone dies, they're in a better place, right? And, and there were Jews that believed. You know, there's not a ton of Old Testament scripture, but by the time of, of, of Christ coming to earth, there was a, a number of people that put parts and pieces of scripture together to understand that there would be a future resurrection. Not all the Jewish people believe this, but some did. And so when Jesus says, He's going to rise. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. In a future day, he's going he's gonna to rise. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, I am telling you right now, he is going to rise. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Do you believe that I have the power to do this? And to which she responds, yes, I do. I believe that you are uh, the, you know, that you are the Christ, that you're the Messiah, that you are the Son of God. It's at this point where Jesus performs this most amazing miracle. And she says to Lazarus, come out. And after being in the tomb for four days, his body already rotting, it mentions the stench. Right? His body would already be rotting by this point. Uh, Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And, and here's what the result is. Verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, they believed in him. So it worked. Right? It, it, it worked. The point of Jesus performing these miracles, he wanted people to, to believe in him. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, of course, they believed in him, but other people that were observing this, they, they, they believed in him in him. But not everyone believes as it continues to go on. Is that kind of crazy? Right? I I mean, think about that for a moment. Maybe even put yourself in a place if you've ever had someone who is close to you die. An immense amount of grief and and to see them come back to life. That that would, or, or anybody who is dead, to see them come back to life. But not everyone believes. Verse 57, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should not let them know so that they might arrest him. It doesn't say that they didn't believe in the miracles. Isn't that interesting? You remember uh, uh, John chapter 9. Some people didn't believe that the actual miracle had happened. Like, I don't think that blind man, maybe he wasn't blind. Maybe this whole thing was kind of a scam. It doesn't say at least as I've looked closely at it, John chapter 11, no one says, I don't believe that he was dead. That They believe that the miracle happened. They even say, hey, this guy's doing some amazing signs, but they didn't believe in who Jesus was and who he said that he is. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just I can do some things, I can perform some miracles. Jesus was essentially saying, you need to believe in me as the resurrection and the life. If you want life eternal, then you must believe in me. I am the resurrection and the life. That was his whole point. All of this was leading towards that point. This was the final miracle that kind of triggered the events then. As Jesus makes that statement, I'm the resurrection and life, he raises Lazarus from the dead. This begins then to set into motion what Jesus came for, to go to the cross, to be crucified, and then to raise on the third day. 